0: Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible study. Things a little bit different today as I come to you from the porch. Uh, this is actually from uh, from our home uh, because of the uh, the COVID situation that we find ourselves in these days. Uh, one of my sons uh, who is uh, living here with us may or may not uh, have COVID. He was sick on Monday. We took uh, we did not take the rapid test. Our uh, doctor doesn't uh, particularly care for the rapid test, as it's not very accurate. Uh, so uh, he had the test on uh, Tuesday uh, to uh, to find out whether he is going to test positive for COVID-19 or not. And we won't know that uh, until sometime maybe later today. Uh, I feel fine. My wife feels fine. Even our son feels fine as well. Uh, so hopefully it'll turn out to be a negative. But Sherry and I are taking the precautions not to put anyone else at risk if we happen to be carrying it right now. So uh, Adler and, uh, and the guys at the Rick and Bubba show said, you know what? I think uh, as long as we can uh, Zoom like we've been doing on the show uh, this week, uh, I've been actually on the show from the house too, we can do the Bible study from the house as well. Well, I thank you for joining us. We are in session three uh, of 1 Peter. Now, an opportunity since I'm here at home where I do a lot of the, uh, the studying to get ready for these weekly weekly Bible studies, I can actually answer some of your questions. Some of you have asked sometimes, like what commentaries that I use and who are some of the people that I, I look at. One of the things that I do most of the time uh, is simply look to the Word of God because there's no better commentary on the Bible than the Bible itself. But I, I do uh, take commentaries that uh, that are well respected on on some of these studies. And this one, uh, you have this one. Uh, this is one by Warren Wersby. Is, is it Wersby Wiersbe? I, I hear different people say it different ways, uh, but uh, he has a lot of um, commentary um, on Old Testament, New Testament. These B, uh, B-E books are very helpful. They're on almost every book of the Bible. So that's one that I'm using for this. I'm using this one the most. This is John Phillips, uh, The Epistles of Peter. Uh, this one is fantastic. I probably uh, used it as far as commentaries uh, the most. And this one, if you want to take a deep dive, Boy, well, I tell you, oh, oh D. Edmund uh, Herbert, or Herbert, how you say it? Um, Hibert. Uh, oh, Edmund will take you on a deep dive uh, when he's doing commentary, and that's another one uh, that I have been using if that's helpful. And probably the one that I use uh, the most uh, above all of them is this one, uh, and that is my wife. Uh, that, that's her right there. Uh, so uh, so Sherry uh, is a great resource <laughs> for me, and we sit around, and I'm not far from where we sit down and discuss these studies uh, when I'm having them and and just delving into her incredible knowledge of the Bible is always an incredible resource. A man who, as a godly woman, has a very, very good thing. All right, so let's open up in a word of prayer. Let's jump right in. First Peter, uh, this will be our third session. Uh, we're in First Peter chapter 2. Today we'll walk through, if time allows, uh, verses 1 through 12. So let's open with prayer. Lord, we do thank you uh, for an opportunity to open your word again today. So many prayer requests, so many people hurting right now, Lord, as we're uh, doing this Bible study live, or if you're watching or listening to an archive, we have this hurricane uh, that has disrupted so many lives. Praise the Lord. The, right now the death toll is, um, is zero, but I know that people's property uh, have, have just completely been destroyed, people's livelihood destroyed the flooding and and the winds and the power outages. Uh, Just be with those people that are hurting right now. I do say a special prayer uh, for my son and all uh, who who continue to to be waiting on tests to come back involving COVID. Uh, I hope his test does come back negative, Lord. But ultimately, we know your perfect will uh, will be done for our entire family, and we certainly rest in total peace under your authority. So go with us now, Lord, as we step into uh, today's Bible study. Uh, and the wonderful, wonderful, inspired letters that you gave to the to Peter, and may we learn everything you intend you intend for us to learn today in Jesus' name, Amen. So, uh, so remember that I've got my man church uh, shirt on. Those of you that can't see this, uh, we we got a lot of. Hey, we are now seventy plus churches uh, that are implementing uh, the the curriculum. If you get into the men that are just using the individual resources, I don't even know what that number would be. Uh, you know, COVID tried to stop us back in March too for our launch. Uh, we have got back on our feet, uh, and, uh, and now the, the discipleship strategy that uh, we've worked to try to see if we can't get it down to, to something that you can implement and see some results. So worked five years on this uh, discipleship strategy. TheManchurch.com. Do you have a discipleship strategy for your men? Uh, do you have it uh, coming up for 2021? If you don't, we can help you. Uh, disciple men change everything. Uh, a lot of times the difficulty in discipling men is there's just not a lot out there, and there certainly aren't many curriculums that you could use for an entire year. We have one that the churches are implementing now. Uh, you can implement it next year if you want to, and then next year we'll release for those of you that have already implemented the pursuit. We'll have a brand new curriculum every single year that you can use. And then we have all the other resources. We can do events, gatherings, whatever you need help with. We'd love to help you because we know that the, you know there was a time when godly men were the answer to the problems of our society. And now the adversary has successfully, sadly, convinced our society that men are not the answer to our problems, that men are the problem and that is straight from the depths of hell. Uh, A man's influence can be detrimental. It can be destructive when it's not under the authority of Christ. Totally acknowledge that, which is why it is so important to take that influence, have it discipled under the authority of Christ, reach men, then disciple men, so that influence now becomes a blessing to everyone it touches. So I'll get off my soapbox, and let's jump in. All right, so 1 Peter, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. Now, you're going to see, let's just start with verse 1. He says, so now remember what we talked about the first two sessions. We've got Christians that are they're, they're, they're sojourners. They're in exile. They're fleeing Nero. The persecution of the church is in full swing, and this is Peter trying to to give them a, hey, remember who we are. Remember our hope. Remember why we suffer. Understand what God's doing through this suffering. So now He's going to shift in chapter two, and He's going to start talking about our individual behavior. That we also need to not only remember who we are from a standpoint of don't don't lose don't lose faith, uh, don't be in despair. But now He's saying, let's remember who we are. Remember what we just talked about in the last session about being holy all holy in all of our conduct. He's now going to get specific about what that looks like, real specific things for us to to be careful of checking in our lives. And he starts in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit, uh, hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So, So here's what he's saying. Some things do not belong in the life of a child of God. And this is something that be real careful right now because there's this shift that is taking place and and we've talked about it a lot. Called grace abuse. There's this shift that's taking place. That really, as long as we've been redeemed by Jesus, no matter how we live our life, it really doesn't matter. Cause remember, man. Hey, uh, I'm saved by grace. No, remember. Remember Romans chapter six says. You know, first of all, in Ephesians, Paul says. You know, absolutely, we are saved by grace through faith. Don't don't miss the through faith part. By the way, that faith of action. But remember, Paul clarifies in in Romans chapter six. James talks about it in our study of James. Uh, you can find our study of Romans and our study of James and archives from past Bible studies, either on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel or at BurgessMinistries.com by clicking on listen. But remember that the Bible is also very clear that we don't become grace abusers. We, we can't take the grace that we've been afforded by God and then abuse it as if that has no power to change us, and so Peter is saying again: Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Some things don't belong in in the life of a child of God. We are to separate ourselves from them, and um, and, and 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 if they are matters of an outward nature, meaning you see this behavior, uh, then, then then we are to you know we're we to root them out, and if they're matters of inward of of an inward nature. Uh, We must do whatever we have to do to get in there and see that we have those removed. So if we see outward behavior that does not line up with the child of God or some of this other stuff he's talking about, it might be inward, meaning people can't see it, but it's in our spirit. We have to be willing to say that that shouldn't be there. That should be gone. Peter is calling us to a new nature. He's calling us to a new nature. Uh, that this is what we've talked about for years and years and years in this Wednesday Bible study. How can we say, first John talks about this, how can we say that God's spirit has come into our spirit and it hasn't changed us. So uh, when, when you look at what he's saying about put away uh, all these things or some, some of the English translations you'll see, will say, lay aside these things. The Greek word here actually means to, to cast off. To, to just to, to to do away with it, uh, the the works of darkness. Paul references this uh, in Romans 13, 12. Uh, he also used this term of casting off or, or laying aside. And, and when you go to the book of Acts and, and Acts chapter 7 uh, and looking at verse 58, if you want to get a visual, and it's kind of a harsh visual, this is the word that Luke is using. In the Greek, when he says what the people did with their their outward clothing, you know that was kind of binding them to stone Stephen, it says that they cast away or they laid down uh, that that outward clothing, uh, and they laid it over at the feet of Saul, Paul. So, so this is the same visual that is being used here, that we should have that same sense of these things that don't belong in in, in the children of God. We certainly are saved by grace. We certainly couldn't do anything to redeem ourselves. but now that we have been saved, then we have to take action in our sanctification process, working out our salvation with fear and trembling to go and attack anything in our life that should not be there, bring it under the authority of Christ and never be okay with it. Cast it off, lay it down, uh, put it aside. And so that's what he's talking about. And, and this is what I don't want you to miss. The, these are these places in the Bible where you see the Bible clearly talking about action. Okay, action. Th- this, this suggests deliberate behavior. So not only is it talking about you you can't have this deliberate sin in your life, you have to have a deliberate plan of action to go and address it. And, and that's exactly what he's talking about, and I don't, I don't want you to miss that uh, in our discussion today. So, um, even though we've received a new divine nature, because I, I can, I know what's happening out there. Wait a minute, Rick. Wait a minute. Uh, listen. Even though we received a, a new divine nature, we are still continuing, continually. Uh, continually uh, making deliberate choices as to which nature we will submit to. Now, we've talked about this. Galatians talks about this. This is that ongoing battle between the spirit and the flesh. Peter is talking about this. Hey, we're under persecution. Uh, we're, we're suffering right now. Let's not forget who we serve. Let's not forget why we're being uh, persecuted But now let's also look into our individual lives and let's not forget and not behave like people that have not been redeemed. We still have to fight to keep that flesh under control because that flesh, C.S. Lewis, is fighting for its life now that your spirit has been made new. Um, This is not about you necessarily questioning your salvation. I'm not trying to, to put you in that place. But I am saying don't abuse the grace because you may find yourself in a bind because that, that, that flesh nature is still calling you and you got to decide whether you're going to feed that flesh or you're going to feed that spirit. Talked about that a little bit last week. It it says, even though I love this, this comes from uh, the John Phillips um, uh, commentary, listen to this, even though the old self smells of death, we try to hang on to it. Why is that? I mean, like we talked about, I mean, Peter uses analogies like, you know, a dog returning to its vomit, Why would we still cling to death? Can you imagine if Lazarus was raised from the dead? He comes out of of the tomb. He's got these grave clothes on him. You know, and I love that part where Jesus says, and we talked about this in our study of the Gospel of John, that those archives also available to you. and, And what does he say? Unbind him. And let him go. Unbind him. Get him out of those grave clothes. Can you imagine if if they the people were walking over to unbind Lazarus from his death clothing and and that smell of death? And Lazarus says, "No, I'm good. I, I I'm good. Uh, I think I'm going to stay right where I am. I think I'm going to keep all this on me." Well, well, you we don't we don't we wouldn't even remotely think that Lazarus would do that, but we do it. I mean, we have been redeemed. We have been given a new spirit. We've been given a new nature. And, and we turn right around and sometimes and deliberately act like that never took place. We just want to go back to where we came from we we prefer sin, we prefer anxiety, we we prefer uh, irritability, we 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 don't we don't seek the joy, we don't seek the hope. We say no, no, I want to have anger, I want to have depression, I want to have irritability, I want I want to feed my flesh. When will we realize that is like saying put the grave clothes back on us? Uh, we didn't just die to self, we want to go back to that dead self and we're going to celebrate it. And Peter says, that makes no sense. So let's break them down a little bit here, what he says. What is malice? Well, malice is the root of all kinds of of evil. There's a Greek word that's being used here that Peter's using. It's C-A-K-I-A, Again, I I don't know that I'm not very good at my pronunciation of anything, much less Greek. Uh, But this has to do with depravity and desires, what I just talked about, of the old nature. Evil intent. I have evil intent. I have malice uh, in my life, and 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 uh, these are the desires. Uh, I have an attitude of of depravity. I'd rather have that of of darkness, of 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 evil intent. And and so, Peter says, you you got to cast that away. You got to lay that down. You got you got to be done with malice. And then he said, deceit. You know, this this is getting into. Uh, you know, now some of the inward sins i talked about you got the outward stuff this is that inward stuff deceit um, and, and envy hypocrisy uh, these are things that he takes on next because this is kind of that old adam nature you know we, we don't we don't follow the the old adam we're, we're not i know we're children of adam but we got new adam and jesus so those things have to be put away deceit comes from the greek word dolos dolos uh, it means to to bait someone, to snare someone uh, in a trap. And one of the great examples uh, that uh, that I looked at in some of these commentaries that I showed you today is when, when we were studying the gospel of John, uh, you remember when Nathaniel walked up uh, and Jesus sees Nathaniel, uh, and he says, behold, an Israelite, indeed in him there is no dolos, there, there's no deceit. And literally, when you're talking about Jewish people discussing this, uh, when they're talking about it in in, in Hebrew, uh, they're talking about really saying, no, Jacob, uh, because, you know, Jacob uh, was a deceitful person. Uh, and, and what he said is looking, you know, because then his name was changed to Israel after he uh, God took that out of him. And so what, what Jesus was saying when he saw Nathaniel, he said, hey, here's a guy that didn't have any Jacob in him. He's got Israel. He didn't have any deceit. This guy's the real deal. He is committed to his faith. So so if Jesus were to see us, what would he say? Yeah, that's one of those. If Jesus were to look into your life and look into my life, would he say, now here, th- this guy, th- this woman, in them they claim to be a follower of me, and in them there is no dolos, there's no deceit. They are the real deal. If that's not what he would say, then then we got to go back to what Peter said: get rid of this stuff, get rid of it. The next one we have to get rid of is hypocrisy. Uh, comes from the Greek word uh, hypokrisis. Uh, you know what this this Greek word really means? That you're an actor, you're pretending. Uh, it's uh, it, you're putting on a show, is what you are. That, that's what the Greek word that we call in English hypocrisy. And it's the same thing. You can see, yeah, I see how that works. But really what, what they would be saying here is Peter says, don't be actors. Uh, don't be out there pretending and acting like that you're a follower of Christ, uh, you know, because uh, you've got to get rid of uh, putting of, of, of uh, live, saying one thing and living another. You know, you see this all the time. Uh, you know, I've said this and it's very convicting uh, for me. And, and I know it will be for the men watching. And uh, it could be the same thing if you're a woman watching this for people uh, that are under your authority or, or your husband uh, or your children. Uh, but, you know, we, we love to talk about in the Bible and uh, Ephesians where Peter says, you know, be sure that, um, uh, that all women respect their husbands. And we talk about that. That's the love language of men. You know, when men think they're not being loved, what they really mean is they're not being respected. Because that's our love language. That's that's how we interpret love. If if we're respected by those that we love, and and sometimes it's true that that, that, that women or wives they don't respect their husband because of their sin. Uh, they have a Jezebel spirit. They they refuse uh, to to be uh, respectful of their husband and and to acknowledge their husband's authority. But many times, it has nothing to do with that. Many times, women don't respect their husbands because they know them. And frankly, they know you're an actor. They know I'm an actor if I, if, if I, if I choose to be one. And that's why we're not respected because we go out into the church or we go out into society or we go on our social media and we, we put a bunch of Bible verses and we say stuff and we know how to act at church, but then they live with us face-to-face every day you know what they say? He's a hypocrite. He's an actor. He's putting on a show. And Peter says we must get rid of all that. Uh, the next thing he mentions is envy. Uh, envy also comes from a, a Greek word that, that means a feeling of ill, uh, a feeling of of, uh, of an unregenerated heart. Uh, but you know, when you, when you talk about envy, envy really isn't jealousy. Envy resists the advancement of someone else. Envy just means uh, I, I don't, you know, some people say, oh, I envy you, meaning I wish that I could be where you are like a compliment. Envy means I'm not happy for you. I actually... Uh, don't like that something's good happened to you. I'd rather it have not happened to you if it wasn't going to happen to me. I I can't be I can't feel good for you. The blessing that you're getting uh, from the Lord, uh, I can't feel good about it because it hasn't happened to me. I can't be happy for you because it didn't happen to me. And and that kind of attitude is what Peter says should not be found in the children of God. Uh, and then of course we all know the one uh, that he mentions next. And this is an outward sin, not an inward slander uh, slander, Sla- slander is, it, we are living in the time of slander, the cancel community. Hey, if I can get on social media and destroy you, I'm going to, uh, slander is alive and well, and it should not be found in the lives of children of God. Shouldn't be there. Uh, what this means in Greek, uh, the word is K-A-T-A-L-A-L-I-A, uh, katalalia. Uh, and what it literally means, uh, in Greek is to speak down. To, to, to run somebody down and and that's really a great analogy of slander because that's exactly what it is. Don't forget that Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount he likens this kind of behavior when you destroy someone's uh, uh, re- er, when you when you destroy someone's reputation when you go after them and you run them down and you slander people he links that to thou shalt not murder. It's a really big deal, and we treat it so flippantly in our current society, and it is from the depths of hell. So all of this Peter is covering in the very first verse of chapter 2. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, so let's move on uh, to uh, to the second verse, uh, and this is where Peter is taking on we must continue to mature in the faith. Look at what he says in verse 2 of chapter 2 uh, in First Peter. Like newborn infants long for the spiritual milk uh, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Well, wait a minute. Grow up into salvation? Easy. Tap the brakes. Hang on. So we are newborn babies. When When you first come to the faith, and the greatest need of a newborn baby is care and nourishment so it can grow. Therefore, the local church, Should be a nursery, Uh, and and certainly for for human babies we do that. But I'm talking about it should be a nursery for the newly redeemed, and and I think too many times and we this goes back to discipleship. I mean this this goes back to what we're talking about. Uh, Jesus said, "Go and make disciples." You know, and I think a lot of times we let people come into the church body, and we go, "So are you saved?" "Yes, okay, good. What's your testimony?" "Well, I did this. That's it's great." And then we just throw them out there into the church, uh, and we just let them sit there. Uh, and we don't have a game plan put together to treat them, give them the, the nourishment that they need, which is the nourishment of God's Word, uh, to b- learn how to handle God's Word, to to grow in their faith, to be sanctified, to mature in the faith. Newborn babies cannot be expected to act like mature veterans of the faith. Uh, and, and, and if you are a baby, you should desire food. And you should be fed the word of God. And if we're not doing that for you, those of us that are a little further along, and, of course, it never stops for any of us. It's just we move on to meat. Uh, some of this is that we do here is meat. Uh, but some of you may come here, and, and we're, we're trying to give you this meat, but you haven't even had enough milk. Uh, but we got to start somewhere, and it's on us, uh, your brothers and sisters of the faith, if we don't help you. And it's on you if, you, if you're new to the faith and you don't have any desire to be nourished. So it's on one of us, and it might be on both of us, uh, but something has got to be resolved, and I mean uh, resolved, and that's what Peter is talking about. I know some people saw this. Like, what do you mean? So I'm not saved yet? No, he's not talking about that. What he means is just like what Paul talks about you know, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, meaning we need to take now our redemption and take our salvation and then get it to its full completion. It's only going to be fully complete when we're standing in the presence of the Lord, whether he comes back for us or we die our earthly death, then we'll experience the fullness of it all. As long as this flesh is on us, then we're never done growing up into our salvation. We're never done uh, I'm not saying redemption. I'm talking about working out the sanctification to take our salvation until it's to its maturity. So are, do you desire the nourishment that you should? And how about this? Are you providing the nourishment to those who need it? The church should be uh, like a nursery, and all the babes of the faith should be able to find the nourishment that they need there. And if they can't, you better find somewhere else. Uh, so let's look at verse 3. So verse 3, he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So that, that's key. He's saying, if, if, "If you like newborn infants, he said, you need to grow up spiritually, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now, this 3 is big. If, it's a little word, but it has big meaning. The first pastor that ever discipled me taught me that. He said, if's only got two letters, but it's a big word if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, see, that is talking about it. if you really have been redeemed. Because if you've ever tasted the Lord, Psalms 34, 8, write that down, Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. So if you've done that, why then would you go back to our carnal appetite for the flesh? He said, if you have truly tasted that the Lord is good, then really there shouldn't be this return back to what he talked about to begin with, uh, to your carnal desires. Because once you've tasted the Lord, frankly, I've said this before, when sin gets defeated in your life, and I'm talking about my own life here, do you know the sin that has been removed from my life by Jesus? You know why it was removed? Because I finally experienced him and I found out, and let me go ahead and save you the trouble. He is that he's better than sin. He's better. He's better. And, and the things that still in my life are yet to be completely put away, cast off and laid down undoubtedly are things I still think are better than Jesus. So I want to keep on uh, growing in that nourishment leak. I want that milk. Then I want that milk. Then I want to move to the meat. And then you know what? Through my sanctification process, whatever my flesh is convincing me is better than Jesus will be defeated. Not by my new code of conduct, not by my great self-control, but by the power that has been afforded me in Jesus if I'll just go access it. And here's an example of this. If you remember this story, go back to uh, Numbers, Numbers, the book of Numbers, and this is in chapter 11. Do you remember when Jesus was providing man, I mean, sorry, well, Jesus, God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they've always resisted. Three persons, one God. So God the Father uh, and God the Son and the Holy Spirit, they are providing manna, uh, for the, for, for, for God's children. And you remember they're out there. They've come out of the slavery of Egypt. Uh, he's freed them for that. Now they're, they're hungry. He's providing manna and listen to this. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. Now remember God was providing manna and they had it every day. They were not going to do without food. And the people of Israel wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt. They were slaves, by the way, and that cost us nothing. Of course, they're forgetting that they also were worked like dogs. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, oh, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. So God was providing them a perfect food, and he was doing that every day while they were starving. And you know what they start saying? All we got is this manna. My goodness, if we were just, we'd go back to Egypt and be slaves, we ain't better than this. Do you have that attitude? I mean, so you've been redeemed and you really think your life before you redeemed is better? You want to return back to the, to, to the carnal desires of the flesh? Do you know what happened in this story? And I, I, in this historical uh, moment, what happened was God said, "Okay, ro- Roger that. I- I'll 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 drop the quail on you. I'll cover you up with birds. You'll you'll have quail meat to eat till you can't you can't eat anymore. And you know what it made them violently sick. See, a lot of times you you remember. I don't know if you ever heard this before. I remember this growing up, and I never had an issue with smoking or any, anything like that. But I remember I'd have friends get caught smoking. You know, might be out in the woods, out in the fort." You know, you'd find a pack of cigarettes, and some kids would be out there smoking. And you remember one of the things that uh, a lot of parents would do—they'd make them smoke a whole pack. Now, I don't know that we understood how dangerous that was then, but what he what they would do is say, "Well, you want these cigarettes? We'll have another." You ever you ever remember looking at your dad's tobacco and say, "You want to try tobacco?" He said, "Ah, oh, you don't need to try tobacco." And you said, "Let me have some." And they said, "Okay." And then what? You got violently sick. Well, our sin does the same thing. This is all symbolic of sin. We keep asking God, we don't like your standard. We don't like your standard. Hey, how about this? I don't like sexual purity. I don't want to do that, God. I want to do it my way. Oh, I don't want to do marriage the way you said to do it. I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. I want to do what I want to do, and I don't really like the way you set it up. And you know what he says? Okay, fine. And then you look at the mess you made. We were talking on the Rick and Bubba show this week, and Bubba made a great statement, and I agree with him. He said, you know, if you really were honest, there, there are exceptions because God does allow suffering to refine us. And we've talked about that even in this study. But, but really, a lot of the problems we have, we brought on ourselves. You know why most of it was? Because we didn't want to do things the way God said to them. And God eventually will say, okay, here comes the meat. Uh, you don't want my manna? That's fine. I'll give you exactly what you want to eat, and it's going to make you violently ill, and you're going to regret regret the day you said that. So this is what uh, Peter is saying. If you have tasted the Lord and found that he is good, then you should be desiring to have what the nourishment that he provides, not what your flesh and the world provides. So now he moves on into verse 4, and we're going to talk about now separation by belief from our old life. Here's what he says in verse 4, and we'll read verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. Once you were not a uh, a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, wow, he's unpacking a lot here. And uh, so... What he's talking about, this living stone. Jesus is the stone. Now, I know some of you out there, your theology is that Jesus said he built his church on Peter. That's that's bad theology, and, and you got to understand the the Greek that's being used here. The word that Peter is using here is a different word, and it means um, th- this this is a a huge, gigantic a movable mass of stone that Peter is using to use the English, what we're calling a living stone. When Jesus said that Peter was Petros, not Petra, Petros, that's a small stone. He was saying that Peter would be a part of what he would be building, and what Peter actually said about him is what the church was going to be built on. The church is built on Jesus. It is not built on Peter or any man. Uh, And that's not what was being said in the bad interpretation of this part of scripture, which we have talked about as well. So what he's saying is the living rock is an immovable mass of stone. And that living rock is Jesus stones may be massive, but they are not alive. Peter says, Jesus is the living stone. And, and and the stone word that he's using here is lithos, uh, and this is what's beautiful about this: this Greek word. That's the same exact word in Greek that is uh, that you would use to describe the stone that, that God carved the Ten Commandments. Jesus now see that the Ten Commandments were on were on a stone that was not alive, but now Jesus has fulfilled all of the requirements. He has fulfilled all of the law. He said he's not here to replace it, but he's here to, to completely fulfill it. And now here is Peter using him, basically saying he's the living Ten Commandments. He's, he's the living law. It, it is completely fulfilled in Jesus. And you know what? It says that uh, that the stone was rejected by religious leaders, but they can't do anything to stop it. Somebody say amen. They can't do anything to stop it. So so verse 5 the living stone and its companions, Jesus is the building. Okay. Cause listen to what he's saying in verse five. He says, you yourselves like living stones, like living stones. We're not living stones, but we're like living stones because we now belong to him. Uh, and he says, we're, we're being built up into a spiritual house, the church to be a holy priesthood. So, so we are, are parts of the building, but we're not the building. And you know what, you know, where we get placed in the church. I love this. We get placed in the church in our perfect spot designed by God, and you know where he puts us exactly where we belong if we're willing to be under his authority. Uh, Also, Peter talks about there's a new lineage now. All believers are now declared to be priests. A new priesthood is ordained. Old Testament priesthood was controlled by uh, the Mosaic uh, Levitical code restricted to the tribe of Levi only, particularly the family of Aaron, if you want to get really specific, open to no one else. So in the Old Testament, not everybody could be a priest. Uh, But now all that's been swept away. We have Christ. He's brought us, bought us with the blood of the perfect and final lamb, all of the Old Testament system of sacrifices, now null and void, done, and we can all proclaim the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit of God, not just some uh, you know, restrictive group of people, some tribe, and some mosaic code, and some family—only they uh, can can truly give us the word of God. Now, anybody who's been redeemed under under the power of Jesus Christ is now given that power to handle the word of God and to to be under the power of the Holy Spirit. So anybody can go out and proclaim Jesus. Anybody can that belongs to Him. We now offer our lives and have access to the holy of holies. Jesus makes us acceptable. Remember when when Jesus, it is finished, the curtain to the holy of holies split. Now any of us can enter, not not unredeemed, but any of us under the authority of Christ can now enter into the holy of holies. We can now be taken by Jesus into the very presence of, of a holy God, he makes us fully righteous. Somebody say amen. Why would we want anything other than this life? And that's what Peter's talking about. Don't forget who we are. Verses uh, six through eight, the living stone and its corner uh, is is destiny foretold. He talks about this in verses 6 through 8. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected uh, has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And, uh, and, and so we know that um, uh, the, the, the part that he's talking about, about behold, I'm laying um, in Zion, a, a stone comes from Isaiah uh, 28, 16, Psalms 118, 22, Isaiah 8, 14, and Psalms 34, 12 through 16. He, this is Peter going back to all these things that he knew. And he says, hey, they were talking about Jesus. They, they were talking about Jesus in verse 6. Um, You know, Isaiah uh, 28, 16, the northern kingdom of Israel was the capital city of Samaria, and it was about to be swept away by the Assyrians. Man, they're always bad news, aren't they? Uh, And Jesus will become a new foundation uh, because that city uh, that Isaiah is talking about is swept away. But now Jesus is the new foundation. Verse 7, he is the hope for those who believe, but a stumbling block for those who don't. Jesus brings brings hope to those who have accepted Him. You know, for us, the stone uh, that has become the cornerstone of of uh, of the New Jerusalem, and and for us, it's a celebration because for us, uh, it brings us hope. But to it being a stumbling block, if you reject Jesus, guess what the new cornerstone brings to you? Well, you're going to stumble over it because it brings judgment. Jesus Christ, when he said, here it is all being fulfilled on the cross, we talked about this in the Gospel of John, uh, when he goes to the cross, I'm now fulfilling everything. And when I go here, look, it's one or two things. When I complete this, when I, when I say it is finished and then i walk out of the tomb, this is now real simple. Either I bring you hope or I bring you judgment. Okay, it's, it's one or the other. And so that's the, the point that Peter is making here. He says, uh, we hold precious. Uh, what we hold precious tells a lot about who we are. What we hold precious tells us a lot about who we are. What do you hold precious? If, if I were to ask your family what you hold precious, would it be? Would it be the living stone? Whatever you hold precious, anything you hold precious above Jesus Christ is, uh, tells us a lot about who we all are. Peter took on the Jews' rejection in Acts 4. If you remember, this is when, I mean, in Acts 4, Peter's standing there with John, and he says, you have rejected the only name that brings salvation. There is no other name which anyone can be saved. I mean, he looks at these religious leaders. Here he is now an older man, but he did this when he was a younger man. Uh, you know, at one time he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I didn't want, I want to be seen with Jesus. He receives the Holy Spirit. Now he's standing there looking at these religious leaders saying the most offensive thing that he could. Hey, he's Messiah. You can't be saved any other way. And, you know, whatever whatever that means for us, it just means, but we're not going to back off on that. So uh, now in verse 8, uh, what he's talking about, the a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So now the Jews... Who were, to, um, who were wedded to the works of the law, reject this plan of salvation. Uh, so, so the new rock lies in the path as a stone of stumbling, not a stone of salvation for them. They keep tripping over it. It is only a work of offense to those who are disobedient to the word. I love that. He makes that very clear. Look, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Uh, look, if this thing is, is in the path, and you reject it, then you're just going to keep stumbling over it. And I said, and the ones who stumble over Jesus are the ones that disobey the word as they were destined to do. I mean, God knew this was going to happen. Uh, verse 9, we love this word. If you love the word if, it's a small word, word that's powerful. But here's another three letter word we need to look at. But he said, look, here's what happened to the people who reject Jesus, but that's not you. But, but for you, always, boy, but is always significant. Those who accept him will have the joys and the privileges and the responsibilities that go with it. Listen to what he says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light Let's say amen to that again. So we're a chosen race, good. Royal priesthood, we explained that. A holy nation, back to last week, uh, for he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. A people for his own possession, we now belong to Jesus, and then the responsibility. So we have we have the joy, we have the privilege, but now we have the responsibility. And what's that responsibility? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Remember what Jesus said. Anyone who who will proclaim me before men, I will acknowledge before the Father. Anybody who will not acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge before the Father. Let me ask you this. If you died right now or Jesus came back right now, does he acknowledge you before the Father based on that standard? Have you followed up on that responsibility? Do you declare him to the world? Now, you can't just go over here and say, I'll take the joys and I'll take the privileges, but I won't take the responsibility. Can't have it that way. And Jesus is very clear about that. And the reason why that's not a big deal for those that have really been redeemed is we always talk on and on and proclaim things that we really care about. My goodness, how in the world can you be redeemed by jesus christ how can you be a chosen race a royal priesthood and a holy nation a people for his own possession and not talk about him as much as you did the restaurant you enjoyed i mean that didn't even make sense it goes back to all of us talking about that we get excited about authors every time they put a new book out but we're not excited about the one that was written by god we talked about this none of this makes any sense so, yeah, the reason, the people who are really redeemed, they talk about Jesus all the time because why wouldn't you? Uh, and and I saw this take place in my life. I went from not talking about him much at all, even after I was redeemed because I was kind of like, I don't know about this. Plus, I knew the way I'd lived before, uh, and I was still trying to make up my mind whether I was truly going to follow him or not, just to be completely transparent. Uh, didn't want to have to go back and go, hey, sorry about all the Jesus talk. I'm kind of back with you all now. Uh, but over time, I talk about Jesus all the time just because I love it just like I would talk about anything I love. So, so let's, uh, let's move on. Uh, we're running out of time. We want to finish. So let's get into God's purpose. Okay. What do I mean when I say joys, privileges, responsibilities, God's purpose, you are a chosen race. The path to the Holy of Holies is now available to the Jew and the Gentile. That was big for all Gentiles. Raise your hand. If you're a Gentile, this is big for us. Okay. Cause we weren't in, we were far from salvation okay? Jews are no longer solely the chosen people. Now the Jew and the Gentile, they make up the church. We're together. We're on equal standing now. Uh, the, the Gentiles' priesthood arose through Christ. We had no access to a priesthood, but Jesus' wild branch grafted in. Praise the Lord. The, rejections, the rejection of the Jews gave birth to a chosen generation over a chosen people the Jews are the chosen people, and they were chosen. And when they rejected what they were chosen for, and then we went from a a chosen people to a chosen generation that includes Jew and Gentile. Uh, and this, uh, and you know what else happened? Goodbye to the Levitical priesthood. Hello to a royal priesthood. So don't I don't have to be in the tribe of Levi. I don't have to be a descendant of Aaron uh, to be uh, the priesthood to be available to me. It's available to me just because I've been redeemed by Jesus. Uh, so we, we went from a chosen people to a chosen generation. We went from a Levitical priesthood to a royal priesthood, and we went uh, from, from uh, the, the Old Testament law to the New Testament church, and now the New Testament church has become a new nation. Somebody say amen to that. Now, the, when it says a nation, it's a spiritual nation. It's not a literal place that has become a new nation. I know there's been some misinterpretation of this. The New Testament church, wherever it is, is a spiritual new nation. And guess who the ambassadors are? We are. What's Paul say? You're ambassadors for Christ. Just what I was talking about. Because we're part of a spiritual nation now. Don't forget who we are. Don't forget the responsibility we've been given uh, along with the joy and the hope that we've been given, we've been given a responsibility. Are you an ambassador for the new nation? Stop clinging. I promise you, I, I'm so glad I'm in, in the United States of America with, with its warts and all. But the United States of America don't mean a hill of beans when it comes to this new nation. The new nation is a spiritual nation, and it's his church, and it's going to stand forever. The other nations are not, including the USA. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't participate. That doesn't mean we don't vote. I am not about any of that. And it doesn't mean that, you know, that we're we're poor, poor, pitiful Ee from Winnie the Pooh, but I'm just telling you, we're blessed, but this ain't heaven. And this is not, Jesus Christ did not go to the cross for any physical nation anymore. The New Testament church has become a new nation and a spiritual nation. And that's the one we're ambassadors for. And that's the only one that's ever gonna bring revival to anywhere. Whoever, they no politician, no political party gonna bring revival to this country or to the world. But but the church will. Verse 10. We now belong to his family. The Gentiles are in. That's a pretty simple interpretation of verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And how Godlike is it that is it, is it that Peter, who struggled to accept the Gentiles as part of the new chosen generation, now here he is reminding the Gentiles that are being persecuted. Hey, don't forget you're in now. Isn't that great? Uh, so let's we're getting close to, to finishing. Let me move on to verse 11. So now we get into verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, I told you that's the people he's talking to, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So he's talking to the Jewish uh, Christians now, so that when they speak against you, As evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, when he refers to Gentile here, he's really talking to Jew and Gentile who are now redeemed under the authority of Christ. When he says Gentiles in this way, he's talking to the unredeemed. He's talking to the Romans uh, about uh, about this this Babylon that he is writing this letter from, which he's talking about Rome. It's not the, the physical... Um, you know, specific Babylon. Rome was a Babylon, and when he says Gentiles here, he means the lost or the pagans is what he's talking about. So what he's saying is for us, for us to do what? Separation from the old way of life. We are now sojourners in this world, so we act like it. We, hey, we don't belong to this world. We're sojourners. We're just passing through. We're on our way to where we really belong, and, of course, that is with God uh, in the final heaven. So he says, remember that. Live like you're a sojourner. Don't cling to this place. Don't worship this place. You're just passing through. We are like pilgrims on the way home. We are like pilgrims on the way home. Reminds me of the old ancient book, The Pilgrim's Progress. If you never read that, it would be a good one to read. When the Holy Spirit comes in, he heads us for home. I love that. That came out of the John Phillips uh, commentary, too. Or it might have been, I think it is. It might have been from Worsby. But anyway, it it, it came from some of the commentary. I love that. It says, when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, the first thing the Holy Spirit starts doing is pointing us and start heading us home. Do you live that way? Do you have a heaven-focused life? I mean, do you live focusing to where we're going and treating the rest of this like we're just kind of passing through? I hope so, because if not, you're going to find yourself disappointed a lot don't expect too much from this world. It'll always let you down. Remember where we're going. And even when we're being persecuted, remember where we're going. And then he says, so we have a new attitude toward the world around us. It's not where we belong. I'm not looking for fulfillment in this world. And that also includes to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. He said, don't go back. Don't go back to 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 the things you once did, to the to the the passions of the flesh. Remember back when we talked about that when he says we're not ignorant anymore, so we can't, you know, fall victim to the passions we had before. He's making this point again. Live in such a way he says that people can't make false accusations against us. Hey, when people talk about you, I actually you know, have, have uh, some, some young men that I'm mentoring now and one of them called me one day and he was having a hard time uh, at work and things had, had, had kind of gone bad and he was kind of upset with the people he worked with. And and, uh, and so he was, he was talking to me and he said, I just feel like I want to walk out right now. And I said, that's the last thing you need to do. It's the last thing you need to do. Here's what you do now. You become an employee that is so fantastic so above reproach that any ill will that they may have towards you makes them look foolish. That's exactly what Peter's talking about. Look, let's don't live a life that makes us easy pickings. Let's live in a way that if somebody comes against us, people go, I, I don't know. I, I know him. I know her. I, I see the way they live their life. I, I think you're the one with the problem. They can't bring any accusation against you. Now, if they want to bring the accusation against you that you're devoted to Jesus, then bring it on. But that's not what he's talking about. He said, you live in a way that the evildoers look foolish if they're bringing accusations against you. And then listen to what he says here. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they speak against you as evildoers so they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation on the day of visitation. What in the world is he talking about on the day of visitation? Well, God visits us. He does. Sometimes he visits us in grace. Sometimes he visits us with his wrath. Uh, Either way, they should be prepared uh, for God to visit at any time, and you should never ignore the fact that God knows what you're doing. He sees what you're doing. Uh, God's visitations come into our life all the time. And like I say, sometimes that means that it's through the grace that he shows us. And, you know, how people say, hey, you know what? I I just had a—people have different words for it. I had a visitation from God today. I felt his presence. Uh, I thanked him for his grace. I I felt his presence when I was down. And sometimes God visits us in that way that says, you know, I see this. And I'm going to have to correct this behavior. Uh, So some days his wrath comes. Someday his grace comes based on what we're doing. And Peter's reminding him, not only should you live in a way that the Gentiles or the pagans can't bring anything against you, live in such a way that if God comes to visit, he's okay with you too. So this is a lot to take in. I I hope that, uh, that it spoke to you today. Um, I'm loving uh, this ongoing uh, study of Peter uh, if there's anything that I can help you with and then what we went through today, if you want to know uh, it was chapter two of first Peter, and we went through verses one through 12. Um, and, you know, maybe there's, this is a Bible study you think could help other people, you know, take it. We do archives Adler and Helms do a great job of making these links available. Uh, use them as tools to pass it on to people that you think um, might need to hear them. Uh, keep praying for our family. We're fine. Everything's okay. Uh, no matter how this goes on the, on the COVID test, um, you know, may, may God's will be done. Uh, we'll be fine no matter what. Um, so uh, keep praying for us. Uh, keep going to themanchurch.com. If you're, you're looking for some other resources or maybe you're a community leader or a church leader and you're looking for a discipleship plan, uh, if you'd like to see some upcoming gatherings and events that we have, you can find those too by going to burgessministries.com and looking under events. Okay, if you need me, Rick at rickandbubba.com. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, thank you for today thank you for this opportunity as I just sit here and feel the breezes blowing across. uh, I think of how fortunate it is for me. It's a pleasant breeze for others as we prayed at the beginning. It has been devastating winds. It's interesting how situations can be so vastly different from person to person, even on the exact same day. But we know you're in all of these things. And I pray, Lord, that your will be done. If there's anybody today that Maybe they, they, they have a redemption testimony, but they're, they're hearing what Peter is saying, and they're hearing you reminding us, Lord, through Peter uh, to, to understand who we are and to assess all these things in our life. And if there's something, Lord, that you prompted in their spirit that they just say, Lord, forgive me, correct me, get me back into the place that I should be. Uh, maybe if there's someone here and they need me, Lord, to help them in, in some way, shape, or form, uh, urge them to reach out. Uh, Lord, but ultimately, may you make us into the people that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being with us. Uh, Thanks to the entire Rick and Bubba staff. Uh, Adler, thank you, buddy, uh, for making sure that today's Bible study. Hey, let's be thankful for the technology, that even in this situation we were able to have this time together. Uh, If you need any more information at all, uh, just go to burgessministries.com or themanchurch.com, or you can email me, rick at rickandbubba.com. Talk to you next week. Lord willing.